You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 837 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. And today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I'm taking a break from Hawks coverage today to talk about the NBA Finals, with the Lakers now holding the 3-1 lead over the Heat after their win on Tuesday. And Ben Ladner, good friend of the program from the Step Back and the Read and React podcast, is going to be here in a minute to join us to talk about the NBA Finals. It's always good to talk basketball with Ben, and a fun time was had by all. Before we get to that, though, a few business items to touch on real quickly. One is that I implore you to subscribe to the podcast. It's been awesome to see and hear all the responses that we've gotten to the podcast during this endless offseason. But if you're not subscribed already, go ahead and do that right now via the platform of your choice. And if you want to download the podcast on multiple platforms, I certainly will not stop you from doing that. Also, go back and check out the archive of the podcast. We've already had three shows this week, including Greg Wister of the Kings coverage and the Kings Herald, of course, and potential Hawks points of interest there with Greg, as well as last week with Robbie Callen and Annie Finberg that were on the show. All kinds of draft content that's still relevant right now as we've accumulated over the last couple of months and uh, news, et cetera, et cetera, fake trades and everything people enjoy listening to. There's plenty to catch up on in the archive. And finally, I will ask you to leave five-star reviews if you like the podcast, as well as telling your friends and family about the show. I really, really appreciate all of the support that we've gotten in the last uh, few months and even before that and looking ahead to the future. All right, without any more delay, here is my NBA Finals conversation with the great Ben Ladner. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while, uh, but the NBA Finals are ongoing, at least for, at least I would say, at least for one more game. Yeah, we'll see how many more we get. Um, I, I might be inclined to, to say we only get one more game, although, you know, I think all these games have been competitive. It's not, it feels a lot like actually the Denver Lakers series where it's a 3-1 lead for the Lakers and, you know, they may close it out in five, but I actually think the series has been a lot closer than that, a lot more competitive on a game-by-game basis with the exception of game one and it's just a shame we don't get to see Miami at full strength we don't really get to see what this matchup looks like Um, but I you know certainly hope that we get at least two more games and you know maybe even three I'm not gonna get that greedy but I think uh, I think it's probably between one and two right now yeah I tend to agree and you know you and I are impartial on this and just want more basketball I think Uh, so we'll root for that and honestly, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of this being semi-competitive. Not every, you know, game one, like you referenced, was not terribly competitive. But the Lakers have a plus five net rating in this in this series, which is significant, but not ridiculous. They're not blowing them out every game. Uh, it would have been very nice if Miami was full strength the entire way. But even in game five, which is coming up on Friday, the Lakers are like seven-point favorites, which is, again, substantial. They're supposed to win the game, but it's not like this uh, blowout series, and we, we could dive into that now. I was going to ask you, sort of broadly speaking... Like what your top line thought of the series has been? Like for instance, I think a lot for a lot of people, it's basically you know the Lakers have the two best players in the series, and that's why they're winning. Which that might be the, that might be just what you think. But do you have like a broad takeaway from what we've seen so far, other than the fact that the Lakers are just probably a little bit better than the Heat? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, I mean, obviously, I agree with that. The Lakers have the two best players in the series. Although Jimmy Butler has made a case at certain points his um, game three was ridiculous like yeah one of the best finals games absurd. you'll ever see anyone play I think what surprised me has been the Lakers supporting cast I was pretty skeptical of them coming into the series and really all season I think every series 
of the playoffs to date, when I've previewed it, when I've talked about it and just thought about it, the big thing I come back to is, well, you know, I'm not sure how much they're going to get from guys like Rondo and KCP and Danny Green and Kuzma. They're big men who haven't really even played the last couple games. And the answer has actually been more than I expected. Rondo looks good. Uh, Kuzma, you know, is is still Kuzma, but has had positive <laughs> moments in this series. I thought KCP last night was incredible. He was. Um, and and so, you know, they're getting more out of those guys. Danny Green still looks kind of kind of iffy, but they're giving them more than I anticipated that they would. And when you have the two best players in the series in addition to that, it just, I mean, that's a really tough combination to to contend with. And I think the other thing is we're seeing just how important some of these these cogs are in Miami's offense, namely Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo, where you know it's Miami's big strength has has been and, and still is their their continuity, their togetherness, their teamwork. Um, but I, I do think that even some of those quote unquote role players, the cogs, you know Dragic and Adebayo, like those guys are still integral. They're not as good as James and Davis. They're not as talented. They don't give you that top line superstar punch. But in terms of their impact and just the way they make that offense run, although Miami does largely operate by committee, it's not as easy as just plugging someone into Goran Dragic's role and expecting to get the same thing. You can't just throw Myers Leonard out there and expect him to do what Bam Adebayo does. And and that you know that's obvious, I think. But just the there's a, a certain amplification I think that takes place between all of Miami's players when they're healthy. And when you remove one of those pieces, they still have depth. They still have guys that can beat you. But, you know, that when, when you remove one of those, I guess, one of those hubs in that system, that amplification is really diminished. And, and the, the product is a lot is even it maybe even less, but it but certainly not more than the sum of the parts, whereas fully healthy Miami is much more than the sum of their parts. And I think we're seeing just how integral some of those parts are, even if they're not superstar level players. I totally agree. You know, coming coming in and really uh, throughout their run, a lot of people have talked about Miami like this. You know, they're sort of egalitarian in the fact that they have a star in Butler for sure and a budding star in Adebayo, but not like they're not they're not super top heavy in the way that some teams are. And I think that's that's true to be sure. They're also sort of lauded for their depth along the way at times, which I'm not sure is necessarily the case at the moment. You know, granted, um, being without both Dragic and Adebayo for part of the series is just something that no no team can really withstand, I don't think, on this level. Um, that's worth pointing out, to be sure. But now, now that Bam is back, I wanted to focus on Dragic for a second because, you know, he was probably the biggest reason, in my view, like single reason, why Miami was sort of punching above their head, in my opinion. Like, Miami's a good team. They were always a good team this year, but they've certainly been better in the bubble than they were before that. And if you look at their roster and the stats and just kind of what changed from pre-bubble to during the bubble, the biggest single change, in my view, was the play at Dragic. Dragic was a star-level player in the bubble, and obviously he had been a star previously. He'd been, he's been an all-star, but in the regular season, he was a bench guy for them. He was their sixth man. Um, Kendrick Nunn played a, lot more than, played a lot more than he did. Dragic was still fine and a, and a positive contributor, but he basically went from being a very solid high-end role player to like a borderline star-level offensive contributor for them in the small sample size of the bubble. And without him, it's been pretty hideous. I mean, you're going to Kendrick Nunn, who was so bad, I thought, in Game 4. Tyler Hero is, is definitely a good 
good story. He's gotten more attention than I'm comfortable with, frankly. I think people are probably overrating him pretty considerably at this point in time. But he is a talented guy, and he's had some nice flashes. Um, But those two guys are not Goran Dragic at this point. And obviously that goes without saying, but having to thrust none in particular into that bigger role has been glaring. And honestly, this is kind of funny. I think they actually miss Dragic on defense, which is pretty crazy because Dragic is not a great defender by any means, but I think he's better than Hero and he's better than none. So it's uh, all kinds of feelings. And it, it, I know this is going to seem very obvious that they're, they're obviously missing Dragic, but uh, it's been pretty stark to me how much they've actually missed him. Yeah, and, and when you look at what he gave that Miami offense and where he was successful, it's not just that he could break you down off the dribble and hit a mid-range jumper. His floater in particular was really working in the playoffs. He could get to the basket, all that. It's not just that, but when you talk about the the continuity of the Miami offense and their ability to ping the ball around, move the ball, and and make good decisions, and you know continue just attacking until they get an easy bucket, you can't do that unless you get the initial breakdown against the defense and then capitalize on that. And he was really important just in terms of collapsing opposing defenses, getting into the lane, you know, bringing an extra defender toward him giving Miami a, a five on four, whatever the advantage is. He was really good at giving them that initial advantage and then making the decision that led to the pass, that led to the pass, that led to the ball movement, that led to the bucket. And it, it, a lot of it started with him as that offensive initiator, either in the pick and roll, off of isolation, whatever it is. I, I thought he was really important spearheading that attack and just breaking down defenses and creating those those seams. So, you know, it's it's and then the defense that you talked about, it's, Again, it's not so much that Dragic is this great defender that you're, <laughs> He's not. you're not missing, yeah. but they before they had the option of if if they really needed to, they could put both Robinson and Hero on the bench in crunch time. And they weren't doing that often, but if they needed more defenders on the floor, they could do that. Now they basically have to play at least one of those guys, and they're both defensive liabilities in a really big way, and they're they're easily exploitable, easily attacked, especially by LeBron James. And, you know, Miami has found ways to scheme around that at times, but there's only so much you can do against LeBron, who not only has the the physical wherewithal to beat you down, but just the, the mental acuity to be able to find a counter, even if you do find a way around your weakest defensive player's weaknesses, LeBron is still going to find a way to bring those weaknesses to the fore and capitalize on them. And when you have to play limited defenders, when you have to play defensive liabilities, basically all game and you don't have a choice even if you wanted one, that just makes it really difficult to contend with an offense that has the type of weapons that, that the Lakers do. Yeah, there, there just isn't a great closing group for Miami to go to in this series without Dragic on the floor. Um, like like you said, you're either playing here and Robinson, which I like both those guys. They're both talented guys who give you a ton of offense, but defensively, I think Robinson's actually probably a little bit underrated, but is not good defensively. Hero's pretty bad at this point as a rookie. who's was, was pretty small. Um, or you got to take one of those guys off the floor and then you don't have enough offense. If you're playing Iguodala and Crowder together, that's not enough juice to score on the Lakers in general. So it's just kind of tough um, for them. And, you know, again, goes without saying that being without Dragic is a big thing, but it really is significant in a way that I'm not sure I foresaw. I think, uh, you know, credit to him for having a heck of a run in the bubble to get to this point where he is this um, sort of indispensable for Miami. But I think, again, he was the reason for me that they became a different team. He was not the only reason, but if I had to pick one reason, uh, he would have been probably high on that list. I mean, yeah, they, they don't get to the championship if he's not playing at that level. I, I tend to agree. I don't think they yeah. would have beaten Boston. I really don't. Um, could they have beaten Milwaukee? Maybe because Milwaukee did a lot of their own 
damage in that series. But if you take him off the floor or make him, uh, you know, the regular season version of himself in that Miami series, uh, sorry, in that Boston series, I think Boston probably wins that series. So, yeah, it's interesting to me for sure. I mean, I want to uh, talk probably for a second about the offense. Miami, you know, in general has been able to score pretty effectively in the series, which is kind of what I expected, honestly. They have like a 111, 112-ish offensive rating, um, which is pretty impressive. That should be enough, honestly. They have 59% true shooting. They're taking care of the ball, etc. That doesn't terribly surprise me, but it's something that I wanted to at least ask you about. And also, um, on the Lakers side, um, what do you see in terms of they have more success in Game 4 slowing Miami down? Um Part of that was maybe putting AD on Jimmy Butler and not kind of letting him bully ball um, the entire game the way they did in Game Three. But what what are your general thoughts on that on that side of the floor that we could talk about the other side in a second? Oh, I'm sorry, you said when Miami has the ball. Yeah, when Miami has the ball, basically just the fact that they have been able to score in this series, but in Game Four it changed yeah. not violently, but they only got I think it was like 1.05 points per possession, which is not terrible, but isn't going to win you any games really. Yeah, 103 even uh, according to Clean the oh, Glass, and that'll that'll vary depending on what source you have, but. Uh, I thought the big adjustment, and you know, other people have said this before, this isn't like a revelation, but putting Anthony Davis on Jimmy Butler, it, it changed the game, it changed the series even for the Lakers because, you know, that you put that type of defender on that type of offensive player, and it really allowed the Lakers to take advantage of Butler's unwillingness to shoot the three, uh, and and so Davis was able to challenge a lot of those mid range shots, not let him get to his floaters, get to his spots, and and use his strength. That was one of the big things in Game Three was Butler was was getting where he wanted to. And, and even if you got there, even if you were able to to cut him off from getting all the way to the basket, he's so strong and he's 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, if, if the defender isn't big enough, he can just kind of shove that guy off and rise up and shoot and, and create space that way. Anthony Davis basically vaporizes that space because he's so big, he's so long, um, and he's not going to get moved when, when Butler tries to do that. And so you lay off of him. You use your length, you use your strength to prevent him from getting the separation he wants, and it, it makes it a lot tougher for, for Jimmy. And a lot of the success he had last night was in the first quarter before they put AD on him. And then from that point, it was just really tough for him to generate any offense. And you t- you add in the fact that Dragic isn't there to to break down the defense. He, he's not there to create those advantages. And it was just hard for Miami to find you know that initial penetration, that initial advantage that they need uh, to create those breakdowns I was talking about earlier. And, you know, you put LeBron James on Bam Adebayo, that's not an easy matchup for Bam either. So I, I just think that the Lakers have the kind of the kind of defensive personnel to kind of neutralize Miami's best options. And again, that's where Dragic might come in really handy, where, you know, okay, Bam, Jimmy are both kind of being taken away. You give the ball to Dragic and you let him work. And now they don't really have that option anymore. Um, I've been impressed with the way the Lakers have protected the rim despite not having their big guys in the rotation right now, basically. Um, and then the other thing is Duncan Robinson, just from a kind of a macro offensive perspective from the Heat, they they had success in games one through three, like you mentioned, but Duncan Robinson really hasn't gotten going in, in this series. And if that continues, it's hard for me to see the Heat, you know, getting another game. Just because if it feels like the Lakers are figuring out ways to to kind of cut off the flow from from the different sources of Miami's offense. And if Robinson isn't kind of that pressure release as he's been all season to this point, uh, it just makes it really hard to, to, to generate anything. But, you know, before that, like, I think the unpredictability of Miami's offense helped them in the first few games. Obviously game three was kind of its own thing with Jimmy just being unstoppable, but games one and two, they, they scored. Okay. Game two in particular, 
because they have a lot of different places they can get their offense from. And the Lakers didn't always have the defenders at those positions to to take that away. But I, I just think the Lakers are starting to catch on. They're starting to figure out ways to to counter that. And that's kind of the that's kind of the way it goes for a team like Miami, an underdog who who's more than the sum of its parts. It needs that element of surprise. It needs to be able to catch teams off guard and and kind of make hay before the other team can can find a counter. And right now it feels like the Lakers are finding the counter. And Miami, I don't think, just has the talent to to really get over that hump. Yeah, I think um, most people that thought Miami would have a chance or maybe like a better chance than some others thought to win this series, the outline for that was basically for Miami to steal game one with what you were just saying, like kind of throwing that weirdness at the Lakers. They're so well coached, but does such a good job. And when they came out and lost game one decisively, that let out a little bit of the uh, the air out of the balloon, I think. And then, of course, the injuries, too, on top of that. But um, I tend to agree. Like, the Lakers are obviously quite good on defense. They were a top three or four team in the league in the regular season on defense. They've kind of figured things out. They're also just so big and physical. And Miami is easier to guard now without Dragic. And your point about Robinson is a good one. You know, I love Duncan Robinson. He's a Michigan guy. I've always been a fan. Um, but my fear with him was always, like, if a team in a playoff series – really tries to take him out of the game they probably can do it and, and I think um, that's happened at times in the playoffs that doesn't mean that he wasn't awesome during the regular season and he's still very valuable because you have to guard him so even if you have to assign so much attention to him and he doesn't do a whole lot there is value to him just being on the court and taking the attention away there's you could definitely see that on the floor on a regular basis but Duncan has not been able to get up a ton of shots in the series I think that's kind of by design if you're the Lakers so I'm not sure what the formula is for Miami to rekindle the offense in uh, in Game Five. I mean, it's probably a little bit of like none not being terrible because he has to play. Uh, Hero had a nice fourth quarter, but was was pretty bad before that. Um, they they just kind of need some guys to punch above their head a little bit in the uh, in Game Five. We'll see if they can do it. But um, I want to touch on the offense, so that's probably a good place to wrap that up, and we'll we'll talk about the other side of the floor in a second. But before we get to that, Ben, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and the first of those is Rock Auto. Change stores often at different price tiers for pro mechanics to do it yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everyone, and they're always reliably low. Instead of changing the prices on what the market dictates, like airlines sometimes do, rockauto.com simply presents the lowest prices possible at all times. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, rockauto.com is everything you need, just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. Rockauto.com is for everyone, does not require membership or an account login of any kind. Those are often annoying, so I'm glad for that with rockauto.com. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and the same for pros and do it yourself first so why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or your truck and from there you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you to them amazing selection right below prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at Built Bar, and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I've told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like caramel, brownie, lemon, almond cheesecake, and a personal favorite of mine, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. And from there, it's important to note that Built Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that tastes absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great for people on a keto diet. And also, 
For a limited time right now, there is a strawberry flavor that's special edition, and there's a 12% off promotion on your order for that flavor through October 12th with Built Bar matching a donation to the Breast Cancer Angels, Huntsman Cancer Institute, and Living Beyond Breast Cancer for up to $50 per order. In addition, there is a breast cancer awareness hoodie available on BuiltBar.com for $19.95 with 100% of the proceeds going to organizations that support breast cancer patients and their families. Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for your entire purchase, and when you do that, you'll get $10 off on your next order. One more time, that's BuiltBar.com. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. Check it out at BuiltBar.com. All right, Ben, I wanted to ask you, before we turn to the defensive side alone, what you thought of Bam Adebayo in Game 4, because he obviously missed time before that. Uh, he looked okay. He had, some nice, he had some moments, but if you looked at, I think if you watched closely, he was not fully himself, especially like some of the resistance stuff, like his strength probably wasn't there all the way, which is certainly understandable, given that he's playing through an injury. But um, what did you make of him? And uh, I guess the extra day of rest probably helps, because uh, there's two games, uh, two days off between these two games. But does he look like Bam Adebayo to you, or is he a limited guy in your view? Yeah, he doesn't quite look like the same guy, and I'm sure part of that is just because of the defense he's going up against. You know, he's he's either being matched up against AD or LeBron, and neither of those is an easy matchup to to score against or to defend. You know, on either end of the floor. So, I imagine that's part of it. I also think he just didn't quite look as as sharp defensively, in particular, last night. Yep. Um. So I I don't know. It's it, you're never going to expect a guy in that position to play at his full capacity, and that's the other thing with Dragic, where even if he comes back. He's not going to be the you know the Goran Dragic we saw earlier, uh, but Bam, you know he's he's certainly giving them more than Kelly Olynyk and Myers Leonard gave them. <laughs> Agreed, which that. is not a super high bar, but he he does look like a a competent and you know even good offensive and defensive player. So he looks good on both ends of the floor. It's just if he's they need him to be you know max max talent max effort. What you know peak Bam Adebayo. And if if injury is preventing him from doing that, it's unfortunate. It's understandable. You don't you don't blame Bam for for that necessarily, but ultimately it, that does prevent them from you know, I think having a lot of success in this series. It's just an unfortunate circumstance that uh, kind of works against the Heat in this situation. Um, you know, maybe they can find ways to get him going in in Game Five. I don't know. I I didn't see anything necessarily that was like, oh, here's an easy fix to maybe make up for whatever Bam's not giving you. It's just, you know, he well, he's going to give whatever he can, and I just get the sense that it, it's probably not going to be enough. Yeah, I, and again, we both agree on this, I'm sure, but uh, it's not Bam's fault. It's just that he's not 100% right now physically, and I think he he's still good. He was still pretty good and very helpful in that game. You'd rather have him than not have him, but um, he kind of, you know, it's unfair to him right now, but he probably has to be incredible for them to have a chance in the series moving forward. Um, and I'm not sure he has the incredible uh, run in him right now, given his health, but maybe the two days off will help him. And I wanted to at least acknowledge that, you know, it would have been nice if he was full strength the whole series. It would have been a lot more interesting because he's an awesome player. Um, and they kind of, you know, they obviously desperately need him against AD and et cetera, et cetera. But I thought he was a li- at least a little, bit, a little bit limited in game four. Uh, this sort of ties into it, but the other thing I wanted to point out as we transition a little bit to the other side of the floor is that the Lakers have just dominated the possession battle in this entire series, especially on the glass, uh, the Lakers have a 32% offensive rebound rate in the series, which is like off the charts, ridiculous. And they're also, uh, dominating the other, on the, on the defensive glass, they're actually grabbing almost 83% of defensive rebounds as well. So just getting all of the rebounds on both ends of the floor. And part of that's Bam being out, et cetera. And Miami's kind of small sometimes, but the Lakers have attempted 
24 more shots than the Heat. And this is the one that got me, and I wonder if you how you respond to this. The Lakers have attempted 36 more three-pointers in this series than, than the Heat, which is oh, not wow. what you would think from the outside. Yeah. The, the Lakers are the team that is seen as like the bludgeoning, big, physical, athletic team, and the Heat are the, you know, they have all these shooters. But the Lakers are averaging nine more three-point attempts per game in this series than the Heat. So, I mean, part of that is just the extra possessions because they've also, you know, they've also just attempted more possessions. Uh, more shots, more shots, I should say. But the Heat are winning the turnover battle, so that's one small thing. But second chance points and just extra possessions are huge, and like it, it can sometimes be overstated, particularly offensive rebounding stuff. But when you're just getting that much, that many more shots than the other team, you're probably going to win. It's kind of that simple sometimes. Yeah, and I think another part of that three point disparity that you mentioned is probably the Heat are comfortable with guys like Rondo and you know Caruso, even Danny Green and KCP to some extent taking open threes so they're part of that is by design of the miami defense and on the other end the lakers are hyper conscious of taking away duncan robinson as we mentioned hero crowder they want to run those guys off the line but that's still a massive disparity and you know we it's it's sort of i thought game two was a really good encapsulation of of actually a a few things that you mentioned there Uh, and really of, of this series in general like miami had a 125 offensive rating in game two and lost. They they shot a, a 58.5% effective field goal percentage and lost. They held on to the ball, didn't turn it over. They got to the free throw line a ton. And you, you mix all of that together and still they – and they got to the rim on almost half their shots. And still they lost the game because the Lakers grabbed a ton of <laughs> offensive rebounds and 48% of their shots came from three. They got up 47 threes in that game. And they didn't make a ton of them. They only shot 34%. But – it's kind of the Houston Rockets formula where if you're getting, you know, basically a little over a point per possession on every trip down the floor, or on every three-pointer you take, many of which come in the half court, which that's a better offensive rating than you would expect to get in the half court if you're getting a point per possession, that math works out in favor of the team taking all the threes. You know, even because Miami was not getting to the rim enough to really make that the the key advantage. It, it might have been if they had been able to grab a defensive rebound, but just those extra shots the Lakers have gotten, uh, the the amount of threes they've been able to get, combined with you know guys like Rondo Caruso, they're not shooting the lights out, but they're they're hitting at enough of a rate. At least I, I, maybe I don't maybe the data does not back this up, but just from my recollection, it feels like they're hitting at enough of a rate that they're actually you know kind of making a difference. Kuzma, Markeith Morris, these these are not guys you expect to be lights out three point shooters, and yet they've been serviceable. I think in ways that Miami didn't necessarily anticipate. And when you're at the talent disadvantage, when you're trying to stop LeBron James and Anthony Davis and worry about all that, then your two best players go down. And then on top of that, Kyle Kuzma is just randomly hitting 39% of his threes. <laughs> and Markeith Morris is coming off the bench, who barely even played last series and is now a key player. That's just a lot to deal with for Miami. It's, it's a lot to have go against you. So I don't want to say that the Lakers' offensive success is luck because – there's certainly been a good bit of strategy and skill that has gone into generating those threes, but a lot of their guys have gotten hot at the right time and and made shots when they've needed to. And you know, the, the one of the things we've talked about before is like in a seven game series, you don't have time for that to regress to the mean. You just kind of live with okay, if if Kuzma hits four threes tonight, if if Morris hits four threes tonight, if Rondo jump shot is working and he's he's punishing you on, on offense you know, that you kind of have to take that or you have to find an adjustment and 
try to stop them, and then LeBron gets going and AD and whoever it is. So just getting those those extra weapons, it kind of goes back to what I said at the top of the show about the Lakers just getting more out of their role players than I and, and probably even the Heat expected them to, and that's been a, a huge uh, tipping point in the series. Yeah, and it's honestly not terribly unsustainable. Like, yeah, Markeith Morris is the guy you would circle shooting 42, 42% from three in the series. That's probably a little bit high, but as a team, the Lakers are shooting 35.5% from three. Like, that's not crazy at all, especially, you know, guys that are decent shooters. Like, Kuzma's not a great shooter, but 39% is not out of the realm. Um, you know, KCP and Rondo are sub 30% for the series, which I actually am surprised by. Ty, Ty, I looked it up right now. Feels, yeah, the KCP one in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been pretty good in the series, but it's not like he's been knocking down shots like ad nauseum. Danny Green's been bad shooting, uh, 23% from three in the series. So, like, it's not been this barrage that you might expect. But, again, it's back to the possessions. If you just get more shots consistently, um, and a lot more shots, too, uh, and throw that in with a, a good defense and all the stuff that they have, it's it's, it's a pretty good recipe, even if, you're, uh, if your role players are not, like, super high profile in the way the Lakers guys are. Um, we have to go uh, broad now for a second, and I'm going to be the same podcast that talks about all the stuff that we talked about so far with all the, all the deep dives, but uh, then I'm going to ask you about LeBron and AD, um, who are both very famous basketball players. Uh, LeBron's been a big topic, and on one hand, it feels like he's not been like A++ LeBron in this series for a lot of the way, but then you look up and he has 28, 11, and 9 averages in the series and you got you have to kind of laugh at that like that's not probably his absolute best but it's kind of funny to see that number and then ad's kind of waxed and waned offensively at times in this series but then i look up at game four a game that i had to cover for dime i was pretty invested and watched the whole thing back in the second half and i thought defensively ad was just like ridiculously good last night in game four so it was I mean, unreal I, i'm not i'm not gonna have uh, you probably you don't have to say anything uh fancy about this but uh aside from LeBron and AD just being very good, like how good have they been in your view in this series, especially given the fact that um, at least the national, like first take narrative has kind of uh, come and gone on those guys a little bit. Yeah, well, certainly I'll, I'll just get it out of the way and say game three was not AD's finest moment. It was not. <laughs> uh, nine field goal attempts. Like it, it's so, it's so simplistic. You, you sound like Skip Bayless or whoever, when you, when you say that and you bring that up, but that, that kind of gets at the heart of it. You can't be Anthony Davis and shoot the ball nine times in a finals game, even if you're up 2-0. That's just not... Um, even, even with foul trouble, like which is like the yeah. small caveat, he didn't play that many minutes, but still, he, he had to do more than he, than he did in Game 3. Yes, and and to his credit, he responded with an awesome game in Game 4. I'm with you. I thought defensively he was at a, a defensive player of the year level last night and has been for most of this series and most of the playoffs uh, in his defense. I still think LeBron's been the better player in this series. I, I would vote for him Finals MVP if if I had to if I had a vote and if I had to cast it today. Um, two things that are not the case, but um, <laughs> you know you you mentioned it. It feels like he hasn't been amazing, and you look up and he's he's LeBron. You know the turnovers have been the one thing that yeah uh, the first the first little, half last night was like yeah. pretty jarring like. You don't see LeBron just like kicking the ball all, all over the gym, which kind of happened in the first half. I think he had like five turnovers in the, in the first half last night, and they, yeah. there were some bad ones too. Like LeBron's one of the best passers of all time, and he was putting passes like two feet the wrong spot. Like it was a weird, uh, I don't know, it was a weird mix for LeBron in the first half, especially of Game Four. Yeah, and yet he, he's still averaging twice as many assists as he is <laughs> turnovers in the series as the team's primary ball handler. He leads the Lakers in usage. He leads them in assist percentage. 
Uh, he actually leads them in re- total rebound percentage uh, over Anthony Davis, which is a little surprising. Uh, I just think he's been the best all-around player. I think he's the best player in basketball. I, I think that's been the case for at least the last 10 years. I don't think at any point in the last 10 years there has been a basketball player on earth better than LeBron. Um, and, and you know, that remains the case. As good as AD has, has looked and as well as he's played, he's going to get a lot of a lot of love for finals MVP, a lot of, uh, a lot of talk for that. He'll probably get many votes. I still think that, that LeBron is really the engine for the Lakers in this series. And you, you know, Anthony Davis certainly is better on defense, but it's not like LeBron isn't bringing it on that end either. And just the load he carries on offense, what he does for that, that end of the floor for the Lakers, the way he sets up other guys and, and, you know, the, the one-on-one scoring too, like he just brings an element, even in that regard that AD doesn't. And, you know, Ben Taylor had a good video today and, and has talked previously on his podcast and his YouTube channel about AD's scalability and the way that he can fit in in basically any offensive role, any defensive role on any team. He's just an unbelievable complimentary player. But ultimately, I do think that LeBron is the driver of the success that the Lakers have had really all season. And to me, I think that's that's kind of the essence of it when I look at who's been better in this series, who's the better player in general. It's still LeBron to me, but um, that's not to say that Anthony Davis hasn't been amazing. It's not to say that he his stock hasn't risen in these playoffs or that he isn't obviously an integral part of this this team. And I think what we've seen is that when AD is your best player, he's not going to raise your floor super high on on offense especially. Uh, but when he's your second best player and he's allowed to fit in around a, a primary creator, he is basically unstoppable. And the, the Heat have had have not had an answer for him. All series, 70% true shooting in the series, over 54% from three. He's just he's just ridiculous on both ends of the floor. Um, that being said, I still I still kind of LeBron has stood out just a little bit more to me in the series. Yeah, I think we pretty much agree on that across the board. And you know, some of this some of the overreaction takes are built into the, especially in the finals. Like you get everybody watching, and it's the Lakers, and it's famous guys, and people wanting to plant their flags and all that stuff. So some of the you know, the swings have been a little bit heavier than I would like. Um, but I do agree that I, I would vote for LeBron if it ended right now. I don't care that much about that, frankly. But uh, I think one point that you brought up briefly is that, you know, AD is the better defender. And um, But sometimes people that want to frame it like AD has this, you know, leaps and bounds defensive edge. And, you know, trust me, I'm, I'm someone that really appreciates defense more than most, as people probably laugh right now listening to this. Um, but LeBron has been pretty much keyed in on defense the entire season by LeBron standards. Like he's been pretty good on defense. This season. I would say, I would say at an all defense level, he, I, he, I didn't, I didn't have him on my team, but I think he was in that conversation. Yeah. Especially when you factor in like how good the team was. And yeah, again, both of us just said AD is the better defender, but it's not like LeBron is a one way player on offense. And LeBron at times in the last few years has kind of been that like he's taken half seasons off on defense but this year that hasn't happened, and especially in the finals, like he's dialed in. It's not like you know, LeBron is their second best defender. He's making plays. He's doing stuff. I think offensively, uh, you know, AD has had moments for sure. But it's it's been a LeBron series, at least in the finals on offense. So yeah, I just want to ask you briefly because those guys are you know the headliners, and we of course a typical on brand fashion for people like uh, you and I that are basketball nerds. We bury that till the thirty minute mark of the podcast. But yeah, uh, LeBron. And I AD. do think the one thing you could say for AD is that the Lakers have kind of. They've gotten this far on the back of their defense, and he's been the anchor of that. I think that is a fairly compelling argument. I just think when you look at the totality of it, uh, 
LeBron has still been the mo- the more outstanding player. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. Uh, I guess this is the last thing I'll ask you before we get into like final do the Heat win another game. Um, can we sort of talked around it? But do you think that Miami can stop them? I mean, in the series, the Lakers have a one seventeen ish offensive rating from what I saw on NBA dot com. Uh, it was it was better. Miami's defense was better in Game Four in holding them down, but of course that came at the expense of their offense giving out. Um, is there any reason to believe? consistently anyway that the heat can stop the Lakers because coming into the series I talked about uh, this with Robbie Callan in, in our preview podcast that was my big concern I just I thought Miami would be able to score I thought they wouldn't be able to guard them and in general that's kind of played out at this point yeah that's with if, if Bam is not Bam it, it's hard for me to see it and the, the the heat just don't have anyone at the rim that that can contend with, other than Bam who you know, if he's if he's having to guard AD or LeBron on the perimeter, that makes it harder for him to be at the rim as well. You know, Lakers have a almost a 118 offensive rating in this series. I don't really see that changing. Like they've been able to score fairly, not easily, but but frequently and efficiently. Um, I just think you know LeBron. Like when LeBron is your primary ball handler, you know the Heat have tried some stuff. They've even had some success with stuff. They they hedged ball screens a little bit in in game uh, was that game three. And we're able to slow him down a little bit, force him into some some jump shots that if he's made some of them, but you still live with that if you're the defense. But, you know, eventually LeBron just finds a way to get to the rim. And he's he's had a ton of and ones in this series. Uh, he's he's finishing at the rim at a super high level. He has missed some and he's you know, Miami has had moments and sequences where they've done a really nice job coming over and contesting some of his layups. But. For on the whole, LeBron has has just been able to get to the basket and and finish, especially by the end of the game. He just kind of he both wears your defense down and he figures it out. And you combine those two things, and that's that's always been just the brilliance of LeBron is he's smart enough and physically talented enough to just do whatever he wants. And I I see that as a trend that'll continue. You know, I mentioned the hedging. Eventually, LeBron was like, "All right, you're going to hedge me. I'm going to split the the double team, or yeah. I'm going to attack the hedging defender's outside hip." And then, you know, the the primary, the on-ball defender is behind the play, and so is the other defender, and now I'm getting to the rim and there's no help. Like, he he just figures out ways to beat whatever you throw at him. And, you know, you could tell me that the Heat break out some unstoppable strategy and say LeBron beats it. I wouldn't be able to tell you how, but I have the utmost confidence that LeBron James will figure out a way <laughs> to, to, you know, handle whatever Miami throws at him. And in, in some moments, like in game three, we saw where he was making the right play and his teammates were missing shots. And there might be games like that. Game five could could go that way. And, and maybe Miami gets another one that way. But, you know, that's still that, that's kind of just bad luck slash people who aren't LeBron kind of not fulfilling their duties. And, and so it's just LeBron is going to find a way to, to, to beat you basically no matter what is, is what I'm trying to say. And, and if his team, if the people around him play at an average level that's usually going to be good enough to win yeah I mean that's that's well said I, I just feel like could it happen on a one-game basis like sure like Lakers can miss shots and Eric Spolster Eric is very good at his job he can come up with some some new wrinkles in advance especially with an extra day to prepare like they'll probably have something new for uh for Friday's game five but I, I just am skeptical that they can guard them especially like you said if Bam is not uh, just terrorizing everyone um in the way that he is at least capable of doing Okay, moment of truth here. Uh, you know, I told you the point spread earlier. The Lakers are about seven point favorites on Friday. 
as such, I, I can't pick the Heat to win the game. They absolutely could win on, on Friday. I hope they kind of do just for interest sake and more basketball sake. But uh, do you think it ends on Friday or are we in for a little bit longer of a series? Oh, man. I'm going to say the Heat get one more. Love it. I, I just, I mean, part of that is just I want to see more basketball. I don't want the season to end. The WNBA season ended last night and I was, I was sad. Um, and if the NBA ends, Four, three days later, whatever it is, and there's just all of a sudden no basketball. That's going to be very sad. Uh, and part of that is I, I like Miami. I'd like to see them have at least some success. A respectable six games, I think, looks a lot better than, or I should say, six games looks a lot more respectable than than five games. I think uh, even more so than like the difference between six and seven. But I don't see this game going seven. I don't see the the Heat winning it. I'm not writing it off, but it's just it, it feels exceedingly unlikely. And even if Dragic comes back, he's not going to be the same guy. Bam will probably look better in Game 4. I think we can price a little bit of that in. Um, and, and maybe Jimmy has another, you know, he has a resurgent game after being held down a little bit more in Game 4. Eric Spolster is a guy that I, I trust, you know, much like I mentioned with LeBron. I don't know what the adjustment is, but I trust him to know what it is. And so maybe we see a little bit of that from Miami. Maybe the, the Lakers shooters have another cold game. Um, and LeBron or AD doesn't look like themselves. Basically, I'm trying to convince myself of, of as many possibilities that could go wrong for the Lakers just so Miami gets another game. But um, I, would, I would lean slightly toward this going to six and stopping there. Yeah. Um, if you are uh, a handicapping person, uh, the line that I currently see on BetOnline, if you, if you think the Heat are going to win the series, is uh, plus 2,000, which is... 20 to 1. So if you feel uh, frisky on the heat and want to get wild on a 20 to 1 on Miami, uh, by all means. But I think we expect the Lakers to win the series. It's not over by any means. And uh, anything can happen. You get one ankle tweak or something like that, and it gets very interesting. But yeah, well said, I think. Uh, ben, if you have anything to add, please go ahead and do so. If not, please plug all that you have going on. I've been diligently listening to the Read and React podcast, and you've been good on that. Oh, thanks. Uh, but anything else you have to plug? I saw you, uh, I, th- I believe you wrote something in the last few days that I yeah, saw. Yeah, I did. So I did. Had share a, it. a personal hiatus for a little while, but, uh, yeah, had a couple pieces go up at the step back earlier this week and, and late last week. So they're a little dated by this point because they were about kind of the in events recent, of games. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing with the playoffs is you ha- stuff either loses timeliness or kind of becomes irrelevant, uh, pretty quickly. So, but if you want to go back and read those, or if you already read them, thank you. Uh, if you want to go back. Uh, at the step back, I had a couple uh, couple pieces about Jimmy Butler um, and then one about kind of just the, the contrast in styles previewing this series, which maybe still holds a little bit of relevance. Uh, in addition to that, like you mentioned, read and react. We're still, you know, ha- publishing semi-frequently, just as often as we can. Um, you know, kind of discussions like the one you and I have had for the last 40 minutes or so. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, you can check that out as well and uh, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you want to do. Or if you just want to listen and have a good time, uh, that's cool too. We, we don't really have a huge preference there. So uh, <laughs> if you want to check either of those things out, feel free. And uh, if not, you're, you're also welcome to go on with what I'm sure is a busy life of yours. So do what you want is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, my, my highest recommendation for all of your content, Ben, and thank you as always for joining me on the podcast. I, uh, I call you into service as much as I feel like bugging you. But uh, you're always uh, willing, so I appreciate you coming on today. Happy to do it, man. Thanks for having me. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the show. We'll have at least one more pod later on this week, so stay tuned for all of that, and we'll see you next time.